Amen. Good morning, everyone. Those of you watching online, those of you in the room, uh, so wonderful to see faces that I haven't seen in five, six, seven, eight months. Uh, what a joy to just worship with you today. And for those of you watching online, uh, what a thrill to have you here, whether you're watching from YouTube or Facebook or our newlife.nyc uh, webpage. Uh, my name is Rich. I'm the lead pastor here at New Life Fellowship Church, and it's a joy uh, to be with you in worship in this way. Uh, we are starting a new series here for five weeks called God, Politics, and the church. Usually they say you should not talk about things like politics and religion with family and all that matter, but we're going to do both, all right? We're going to talk about politics and religion, and uh, we'll see how it goes over the next uh, five weeks. And uh, I need to say a few things before we get into our passage out of 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 1, but really the question is, how do we follow Jesus in a world that is captive to political hostility? How do we follow Jesus in a world that is captive to political hostility. And so I need to say a few things out front before we get into our passage. And the first thing I need to say is this, that no matter who you vote for next month, you are welcomed at New Life Fellowship Church. And it's important to say that. No matter who you vote for, you are welcomed at New Life Fellowship Church. In our church, there are going to be many who vote for Donald Trump. And in our church, there are going to be many who vote for uh, Joe Biden. And some of you are already thinking right now, and some of you are watching right now and saying, how could they vote for that guy? And if they vote for that guy, I'm not coming to this church. And I get it. I get it. And yet we're called to be something different than the world. And so while I'll, I'll say that everyone is welcome, no matter who you vote for, at the same time, I need to say that as followers of Jesus, we are to be people of discernment, people of prayer. People who see uh, politics through the lens of Jesus and not the other way around. And it's important that we are discerning all these issues that come before us as we think about our uh, place in this uh, society and our place in the larger schemes of, of politics. Now, politics has become synonymous uh, it's become a dirty word. It's synonymous with hypocrisy and power plays and abuse of power and such. But politics, very simply, is how we work together for the well-being of our community. That's what politics is supposed to be. How we work together for the well-being of our community. And over the next month, I'm going to be preaching sermons that essentially respond to that question as it pertains to our witness before Jesus. And so here are three questions that I'm going to be uh, unpacking over the next five weeks here. And it's uh, as follows. What does it mean to be faithful to Jesus and the gospel in a world caught to political hostility? Second, what does it mean to be faithful to one another in a world captive to political hostility? And what does it mean to be faithful to the surrounding world in a time of political hostility? And so today's message is going to be more of a macro message, a big picture message. And then over the next few weeks, we'll get into some of the more specifics uh, that I believe God would have us to meditate on and focus on as we think about our place in the larger society. And so we're going to be in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, beginning in verse number 10. Uh, uh, hear the word of the Lord. It will be on the screen as well. You can follow along there. Paul says, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say, and there, that, that, and there be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind 
and thought. My brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's household have informed me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another, I follow Apollos. Another, I follow Cephas. That's Peter. Still another, I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I did not baptize any of you except Crispus and Gaius. So no one can say that you were baptized in my name. And then I just love this parenthetical thought. Yeah, you know, I also baptized the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I don't remember if I baptized anyone else. It's like Paul is thinking, yeah, let me just write this down real quick. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not with wisdom and eloquence, lest the cross of Christ be emptied of its power. Talk about being faithful to Jesus in a time of political hostility. Let's pray together. Lord, we open ourselves up to you as we come under the authority of Holy Scripture. Now lead us and guide us in the power of the Spirit. Open our eyes that we may see what you want us to see. Open our ears and open our hearts to the gifts you have for us this day. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. This past week I reread an article that came out of Stanford University in 2015, a research piece. And the title of the article was called Fear and Loathing Across Party Lines, New Evidence of Group Polarization. And this was written in 2015. And I want to tell you things have intensified over the past five years. Fear and loathing across party lines. The premise of the study is that polarization is at an all-time high as a result of political hostility. And again, this is 2015. Things have only gotten uh, intensified over the past couple of years. And in the summary statement of this research paper, it expressed the core of their findings, and this is what they found. It says, our evidence demonstrates that hostile feelings for the opposing party, and hear these words, are ingrained or automatic in voters' minds. And that effective polarization based on party is just as strong as polarization based on race. Now, their findings were interesting because in a 1960 survey, uh, they, they said, uh, who would you be most upset about your child marrying? And in that survey, the response was, I would be most upset if my child married someone from a different religion or a different race. Just a couple of years ago, the a same survey was, was delivered, and the response was, I would be most upset if my child married someone from a different political party. And if you understand the history of racial oppression and racial injustice and racial hostility in our country, that statement says a lot. That the level of animus, that the level of hatred, that the level of divisiveness within our country as it pertains to politics is higher and deeper, you could argue, than ever before or in a very long time. And yet we are to be different as the body of Christ. We are to show forth something different, a different kind of social imagination that the world cannot give, the world cannot take away, that's something different that comes from Christ. 
This is why when I talk about the cross, I say that the cross is not just a bridge that gets us to God. The cross is a sledgehammer that tears down walls that separate us. And we see that repeatedly in the New Testament. The cross is not just something that gets me from, from sin to God. It gets a sledgehammer that tears down the thick walls that separate us. And the walls of political hostility are thick. Very thick. And yet we're called to be something different. The church is not to be found on the left. And the church is not to be found on the right. And the church is not even to be found in the middle. The church is to be something altogether different. If I could say it this way, the church is not to be found at the center of a left-right political world. The church, and hear this, is to be a species of its own kind. Confounding left and right and middle and finding its identity from the center of God's life. The church is not to be so in the so-called middle. We are to be a species of its own kind. That when the world looks at us, they're confounded. They can't understand us. Who, who are these people that have gathered together and we're trying to be the body of Christ in this kind of way that confounds the world? And this is what Paul is getting at in 1 Corinthians 1 where he's trying to uh, unify the church, letting them know you're to be a species of its own kind, something different than what the world offers, and this is what he's getting at. Now, I read for you this uh, Paul's letter, uh, verses 10 through verses 17, but I want to give you my translation, a 2020 translation of what Paul is saying. This is what he's saying. My brothers and sisters, some from Chloe's crib, have DM'd me on Facebook telling me that there are quarrels among you. What I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Trump. Another, I follow Biden. Another, I follow Bernie. Still another, I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Trump crucified for you? The answer is no. Was, were you baptized in the name of Biden? The answer is no. This is the 2020 version here of Corinthians from Queens. Okay, here we are. One of the reasons I love the Bible is because the Bible uh, shows us the frailty and the sin and the brokenness of human community. There's so much drama in the Bible. I just feel good when I read it. I just feel, it's just not it's just not our church, okay? And it's just not the church in this country. The church has been messed up for a long time. Amen, somebody. We just didn't get messed up yesterday. We've been messed up for a long, long time. That's why you should read the Bible. Because this stuff isn't new. Division isn't new. Hostility isn't new. Hatred isn't new. This stuff has been here for a really long time. And the Corinthian church probably were the biggest mess in the Bible. This was probably the church that Paul had the most problem with. And the problem they had was they had tremendous gifts. They had anointing. They had the presence of the Holy Spirit. You could imagine in the Corinthian church, people were slain in the Spirit all the time. Speaking in tongues all the time. Healings and miracles all the time. But you know what they didn't have? Love. Maturity. And so Paul writes to a church that is steeped in gifts, but low in maturity. Low in love. Read Corinthians. They, they fight over who's most spiritual. They fight over communion. They fight over food and idols. They are a mess. And when Paul gets to the beginning, he's letting them know and, and identifying the biggest 
uh, reason for their problems, and it is division. And so in verse 10, follow along with me. He says, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say, and that there be no divisions among you. And the way that this division in the Corinthian church manifested was in the way leaders divided according to leaders they supported. And so in verse 12, Paul says, what I mean is this. One of you says, I follow Paul. Another says, I follow Apollos. Another, I follow Cephas. And still another, I follow Christ. Four factions, four cliques, four groups within one church. And Paul lays it out. The first group says, we love Paul. We're voting for Paul. And they have, you know, Paul's sign in front of their house. We love Paul. And you would think that Paul would be happy about this. That's pretty nice. But Paul is, he's grieved that they would use his name in this way. The next person says, we follow Apollos. Apollos was a gifted preacher. He was a gifted uh, speaker. People love to hear Apollos speak. And so they say, we, we, we like Apollos. Others said, no, 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 we like Cephas. Later for Paul, later for Apollos, we like Peter. Peter's our guy. He's the rock. He's the one who started this thing. He's the one who said he got the identity of Jesus right. We're going to go with Peter. And then Paul says, and then some of you say, I'm of Christ. Now, why would Paul include Christ's name in this, uh, this group here of four? And perhaps Paul is writing because he recognizes that there are some people in the church who always think they're just the purists. We follow Christ here. I follow Christ. Like they have, you know, no limitations in the way they see the world. No, I follow Christ. I, 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 know how, I, I know how to live in this world. I follow Christ. And you would think Paul is happy about this, but he includes them in this list as well. And so with all this, Paul is essentially saying you have these, these factions and the polarization that has ensued because of that is destroying the church. And when you examine the uh, tensions in the Corinthian church, this book serves as a mirror to our lives, a mirror to our own church and churches around this country. We are living in a politically divisive and hostile world. Friendships have ended. Families are torn apart. The level of animus at our workplaces has just intensified to a level we have not seen in our lifetimes. What intensifies this is everyone has a platform to say what they want to say. The gift of social media is that everyone has a platform to say what they want to say. The curse of social media is that everyone has a platform to say what they want to say. And because of the democratization, it means everyone has access to technology. We are seeing things. We are seeing the level of divisiveness that probably was hidden from our eyes decades ago. But because of this access, we're seeing perhaps what was there all along. But we're seeing it in intensified ways today. And so Paul's word to all of this is to be united. And, and he says, to be of the same mind. Now, this sounds irrational, actually. It sounds impossible. 
It sounds like a fairy tale. I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree with one another in what you say. And there that be no divisions among you, but that you be perfectly united in mind and in thought. Paul says the way that we're going to combat this hostility is in our unity. Be of the same mind. Now, this does not mean that everyone has to think alike. This does not mean that everyone has to or will vote alike. That's uniformity. And that's impossible because we all see life from different perspectives. And because we see life from different perspectives, we have different conclusions about the perspectives that we hold. And so it's impossible based on the particular life situations that we've grown up with to see everything in the same way. So when Paul says, have the same mind, may there be no divisions, he's not talking about all the ways that we see the world. He's really talking about one thing in particular. And it's not actually a what, it's a who. Be of the same mind, not as it pertains to particular issues. Be of the same mind as it pertains to Christ Jesus. And so he says, what's the same mind? Here's the same mind. Jesus Christ is Lord. And we are to have the same mind holding on to that. Because if we can confess that truly with our heart and really believe that, that Jesus Christ is Lord, it will change the way we actually live in the world. This is why Paul can say, is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Were you baptized in the name of Paul? And with those three questions, he's saying, I want to redirect your mind. He says, church, you've been spending so much time focusing on these leaders, Apollos, Paul, Peter, you're wasting so much energy. And that's God's word to us as well. You spend so much time, emotional energy. Were these people crucified for you? Were you baptized in their name? To which he would say, no, your, your primary allegiance is to Jesus Christ and to his kingdom. Now, this does not mean that we're politically naive. This does not mean that we are politically uninformed. But, that, but it does mean that our primary allegiance is to Jesus Christ. Before the flag, before the country, before our families, our primary allegiance is to Jesus Christ. He's Lord. That's the gospel. And to say that Christ is Lord and on one, in one way is to say in a very next statement that everything else is not. That the Democratic Party is not, that the Republican Party is not, that the Independent Party is not, that the Green Party is not, that the Tea Party is not, the Coffee Party, the House Party, whatever party, it's not. <laughs> Jesus Christ is Lord. Now, it's easy to say that, isn't it? If we surveyed every Christian at New Life Fellowship, every Christian around this country said, do you believe that Jesus Christ is Lord? We would say 100%. Absolutely. But it's one thing to say it. It's another thing to live it. You can pass a theology test and still fail at following Jesus. And so to confess that Jesus Christ is Lord 
is to have lots of implications and ramifications for our lives. And what I want to do today, again, today is a macro kind of a message that I'll be unpacking over the next few weeks. What does it mean to confess Jesus Christ as Lord? What does it mean to confess and be faithful to Jesus and his gospel in light of a world that's captive to political hostility? Now, what I want to do is I want to just, I want to outline just seven marks of this here. And then we'll pray. And we'll have much to reflect on this week and much to pray on this week. And much to be listening to the Holy Spirit this week. But I want to talk about seven marks of faithfulness to Jesus in a politically hostile world. How do you know you truly believe Jesus is Lord (laughs) in a politically hostile world? I want to give you seven marks of it. The first mark being this. How do you know you are faithful to Jesus? Well... You're not paralyzed with anxiety as a result of the election. Hear those words very clear. I didn't say you don't have anxiety. I didn't say you're not angry. The reality is, after the election, there are going to be people in our church who are relieved and people who are grieved, no matter who gets elected. Some will be relieved and some will be grieved. But... You know, Christ, you know you're truly believing Christ is Lord in your heart, in the deepest part of your being. When you're not paralyzed with anxiety. Certainly grieve, certainly mourn. But the church throughout history has endured all kinds of leaders for over 2,000 years. And the church has been faithful. We look to our ancestors in the faith who have been faithful through all kinds of empires and all kinds of regimes and all kinds of leadership. And we are to be faithful to Jesus, recognizing that I don't have to be paralyzed by anxiety because Christ ultimately is Lord. And so grieve, have it for sure, but we're not paralyzed by it. That's how you know you truly believe Jesus Christ is Lord. Secondly, well, how do you know that Jesus Christ is Lord? Well, you pray for those you disagree with. The way of Christ is a crucified life. And to pray for those we disagree with, to pray for those we have a hard time loving, is the way of the cross. Now, when I say pray, I'm not talking about praying for their demise. I'll pray for them, Pastor. (laughs) Oh, I'm praying for them, Pastor. You could be sure I'm praying for them. But to, to, to pray, to, to love our enemies is a crucified way of being in the world. And the church is to be a species of its own kind, confounding the world. And so how do you know that Christ is Lord? Well, with our very lives, we live like the Lord we confess. We pray for those we disagree with. Third, how do you know you're being faithful to Jesus? Well, you confess your limits and blind spots. To confess Jesus Christ as Lord is not just to say that that Biden is not and Trump is not. It's to say that I'm not. (laughs) To say that Christ is Lord means I have mistakes. I have sins. I have limits. I don't see clearly. Only God sees clearly. And so I need to confess, I do have blind spots. I do have limitations. I don't see everything clearly. 
And it takes humility to do that. Because many of us think we see things clearly. Clearer than anybody else. But to confess Jesus Christ as Lord is to confess our limitations, our sins, our blind spots. How do we know Christ? We're being faithful to Christ. Fourth is this. You don't anoint any candidate or party as God's candidate and party. Whenever I hear people say, God has anointed this person or raised up this person, that to me is troubling language. Because the only one who's anointed and the only one who's been raised up by God is Jesus Christ. And any time we start using the language that this is God's candidate, and be mindful of pastors who are using the language that this is God's candidate, that is a, that, that is a misuse of pastoral authority to say this is God, because we are woefully inconsistent with who we think God's candidate is. And it often happens to vary based on who gets elected. This is God's candidate or not. But you, how are you living faithfully to Jesus? You don't anoint anybody. Christ is the anointed one. Christ is the one who's been raised up by God. And Christ is the one we look to. And if I could say it this way. Listen, if, if any Christian fits neatly in a political party, that Christian does not fit neatly in the kingdom of God. If any Christian fits neatly, I'm not saying you're not saved. I'm not saying you're not going to heaven. I'm not saying any of that. But I'm saying if, if, if any Christian fits neatly, snugly, in any political party, that Christian does not fit neatly in the kingdom of God because the kingdom of God transcends any political party. And no political party is, 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 is the same as the kingdom of God. And so we don't anoint a candidate. Or a party as God's candidate in God's party. Say amen, somebody. Oh, you're making it hard for me to preach today. All right, here we go. How do we know that Jesus Christ is Lord? How, do we, how are we living this in a politically hostile world? Fifth is this. That the Lord's ethical concerns become your concerns. Jesus' ethical concerns become your concerns. And so whether we're talking about the sanctity of life in the womb or strengthening families or seeking justice for the poor and vulnerable or preserving human rights for all people or pursuing racial justice or restraining violence or taking care of God's creation, Jesus' ethical concerns are to become our concerns. And one of the greatest lies of partisan politics is that you have to restrict yourself as it pertains to the social issues you care about. And so on one side, they say, these are the issues we care about. And on another side, they say, these are the issues we care about. And what begins to happen is now you're concerned with just part of the issues that Jesus is concerned about. But Jesus is concerned about all the ethical issues. And so how do we know we're following Christ? All of the ethical social concerns matter to us. 
And we discern together. And we pray. And I need to say this. And the reality is, after the discerning and after the praying, we still might come down on different sides in terms of how we see things. But may we be doing it prayerfully, in a discerning way, looking to Jesus, looking to the Scriptures, that His ethical concerns become our concerns as well. Six. How do we know we're trusting in Christ? Well, we spend more time listening to Jesus' voice than the prevailing cultural voices. Here's the indictment against the church. You could argue that a vast majority of Christians are more conversant around political talking points than they are around the Sermon on the Mount. What's that, Pastor Rich? What's the sermon? <laughs> Many Christians can tell you what their respective candidate stands for. And will have a hard time telling you what Jesus actually said. And so, how do we know we're spending time listening to Jesus' voice? Which reminds me, how much time are we giving ourselves to cable television? to watching the news in a way that paralyzes us. How much time are we given? Listen, and, and I say this as one on the journey with you. <laughs> I just got on Sundays, I don't know about you, on Sundays I get my weekly social media report, or the, my, my, my iPhone report, how much time you've been on, and you're down 15% and up 15%. I was down 13% this week. I want to tell you, I was down 13%. But, but, you, you don't know where I was the previous week, though. So, <laughs> so 13% really doesn't mean anything. But thank you, Teddy. Uh, you know, uh, and I, I have realized in myself how inundated I can be and obsessive I can be with what's happening in the world and not focus on listening to Jesus. And what's Jesus have to... I've had to make adjustments in my life, especially at nighttime, of when I'm stopping social media and when I'm stopping watching the television and when I'm stopping because I, I, I'm going to sleep with that garbage in my soul. And so I've had to make significant adjustments, boundarying social media, boundarying the news, boundarying all the information that's coming. And I want to tell you, human beings were not made for the level of information that comes our way on a daily basis. We were not made to be aware of all of the crisis and on the level that we are. No wonder our souls are shriveling. No wonder our bodies are sick. We're not made to carry all of this. And so we spend more time listening to Jesus' voice. I want to challenge you this week. Listen to Jesus. Find a spot in your home. Sit down on the chair. Open your hands. Set your timer to 10 minutes. Breathe in. Breathe out. Have the name of Jesus on your lips. And then do it again the next day. And if you need more time, do add some more time to it. But we spend time listening to Jesus rather than the prevailing voices. Lastly, it's this, and then we'll close. How do you know you are living faithfully to Jesus? Well, you live with a hope that makes no sense to the world. We are species of its own kind, the churches. And one of the ways we show the world what's to come 
is by putting our trust and confidence in Jesus Christ. This is why Paul, at the end of this chapter in 1 Corinthians 1, he, he says that if anyone is going to boast, let that person boast in God. Verse 31, therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boasts in the Lord. Paul knows, listen, it's only God who deserves our allegiance. It's only God who deserves our praise. It's only God who can deliver us. It's only God who can set us free. And because only God can do it, we are to boast in no one except Jesus Christ. And so uh, vote next month, but boast in the Lord. Cast your ballot, but boast in the Lord. Uh, Study the issues, but boast in the Lord. And when it's all said and done, may we say like David said in Psalm 34, where he says, I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. My soul will make its boast in the Lord. The humble will hear thereof and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me. Let us exalt his name together. Amen. Amen. And amen. Amen. If we can go back to that previous slide, I want you to look at the screen for a moment. And as you look at these seven marks, these seven marks of faithfulness to Jesus Christ... Which of these seven is God inviting you into this week? You say, well, all seven, Pastor Rich, I get it, I get it. But but which one do you sense God saying, I want you to focus on that one. I want you to be praying in that one. I want you to be journaling along that one. We are to be a species of its own kind confounding left and right and middle, bearing witness to the name of Jesus Christ. Let me invite you to close your eyes for a moment. I stand among you as the the chief of sinners and missing the mark in this area. And the gift of the church is to be coming back to Christ over and over again. Pastor Kate led us in the time of repentance. And every single day we need to repent because we need to just come back to Jesus and say, Lord, form me, make me. May I be a witness to your confounding love your confounding mercy, your confounding justice. May I not get caught up in the ways of this world. Lord, may your Spirit lead us and guide us in the way we should go. May we be a healing presence to our families and friends. May we listen with discernment and compassion. And although the world is 
going down a dangerous road, may the church offer something different. And may it start here in Queens with us, Lord. May it start with us. We thank you for your presence. We thank you for Holy Scripture. We thank you for the ways you lead us and guide us. We offer ourselves to you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Let's all stand together. Over the next few weeks, I'm going to be preaching on these themes here. Next week, I'll be looking at uh, political enmeshment and how we find ourselves emotionally fused uh, in ways that uh, often come across like idolatry and attachments. And God needs to liberate us and set us free. Uh, there's some next steps that I want you to see here just on the screen. Some of you are saying, what's next? Well, uh, next Sunday for two hours, uh, there'll be a politics and faith seminar. And I'll be leading that time. It'll be on Zoom. And so you can register online. But how do we discern and hear stories and be a species of its own kind? I want to invite you truly to, to spend at least 10 minutes in prayer every day. To find a quiet moment in the morning, in the mid midday, in the evening. And to open yourself up to the gracious presence of Jesus. And as you abide in him, may his life flow through you. And I also want to invite you to connect to community. These are very isolating times, very lonely times. And no one should be alone as we wrestle through a pandemic, through economic crisis, through political upheaval, through racial injustice. There's a lot coming at us every single week. And we need God's strength and we need community as well. And so on our website, uh, you can feel free to reach out to one of our pastors. There's a small group link. We want to do whatever we can to connect you in community. As we close, uh, I want to remind you that we have our virtual lobby. So for those of you watching online, so glad that you're with us. And uh, if you want to connect with someone or you just need prayer, there's a prayer link on our website as well as on social media. And so feel free to click that link and you can receive prayer or just connect with one of our pastors. And then I want to invite you, some of you are watching online, maybe some of you in this room here, you've never said yes to Jesus Christ. You, you've trusted in so many other things to rescue you. And whether those other things are money or a new accomplishment or an achievement, and you thought that's going to fulfill you, that'll rescue you, and you've been disappointed over and over and over again. Your girlfriend disappointed you, your boyfriend disappointed you, your husband, everyone's disappointing you because they can't rescue you. They can't save you. They can't forgive you, but Christ can. And if you are sensing God calling you today, very simply, one of our pastors will be in touch with you. You can just text yes to Jesus to that number on the screen. And one of our pastors will be in touch with you within a day and would love to have a conversation with you about the next steps. But as we close, let me invite you to open your hand towards heaven to receive a blessing. After I bless you in this room here, Pastor Helen will come up. And for those of us in this room, we'll have a seat and she'll let you know in terms of dismissal and such. Uh, for those of you online, uh, I'll see you next week. But with your hands and your hearts in a posture of receiving, 
brothers and sisters and sons and daughters of the living God, may the Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face to shine upon you and fill you with peace. And may you walk out of this building and out of this online gathering in the power of the Holy Spirit, bearing witness to the kingdom of God, bearing witness to the good news of the gospel, bearing witness to Jesus Christ. And may the Holy Spirit fill you this week to be Christ's witnesses in a world that's captive to political hostility. I bless you all in the strong, in the beautiful, in the resurrected name of Jesus Christ. And everyone said, amen. Grace and peace to you all.